Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Teaching with the Body and Mind. This is going to be part two of our discussion about sleep with Alyssa. Hello again. Hello. Hi. For those who listened last week, we really kind of got into uh, discussions about why sleep and rest is so important for young children. And a comment that you had made just towards the end of the episode was how how much children are using their brains and how much is happening uh, during these early stages. And it made me think of, uh, I was at a presentation from, with Alison Gopnik and she said, you know, 80% of your brain development is happening around age four, where you're not only how you're using it, but the actual growth of your brain happens in these very early years. And that's why we often see so much happening. And as we had talked about before, a lot of that development is happening actually while you're asleep, while these children are there. So um, I would like to kind of keep going. I was thinking about actually specifically what's happening for those infants, what's happening within those toddlers, what's happening with those preschoolers, and even the school ages, as we kind of know that early childhood falls in the window of zero to eight years old. Yeah. Yeah. So in Allison is entirely correct, right? And we, anyone who's been around a tiny human knows that the tiny human that comes out of a womb is an entirely different human in just a year's time, (laughs) right? If you think about what you accomplished in the last year, it's much different than what that infant accomplished. And they're, I mean, developing motor skills and just eating and so much is changing for them. And with that, sleep changes. At the very beginning, a lot lot of families will come home with a tiny human. They're like, oh my gosh, they they're great sleepers. You can just put them down and they, they sleep. And that lasts for a couple of weeks. And then I usually get phone calls of like, what happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, this was fine. And what happened is that they started to become a little bit more aware of their surroundings. And the more and more aware they become, the more they want to move, the more they want to engage, the harder sleep can be to get because uh, they want to yeah. do these things. And almost counterintuitive to our processes in that like you need to rest in order to be able to do these things and for your body to store this memory. But we just have this urge to do it and especially when we are sleeping. So I got a video last year of a kid in the crib just on hands and knees rocking back and forth that a parent sent me of the monitor she had videoed. She was like, what do I do with this? I was like, nothing. Yeah. You work on crawling yeah. during the day and you let this happen now. Yeah. We have the space and freedom to work on crawling and he's trying. So the like golden rule for kids, for newborns, birth to four months, mm-hmm. is to not have an overtired child. What this means is that a tiny human should not be awake for longer than two hours. Most of them, it's going to be like an hour to two hours of awake time. And we don't even need long naps here. They can be cat naps. They're going to be happening so frequently that it doesn't matter if they're in a crib or kind of where they are. They can be on you. They can be in a bassinet. If you tried to have them in a crib at home, you would never leave the house because their awake times are not very long. So your main goal here is just to not have them get overtired. Okay. And then around four months, we hear of a four-month sleep regression. This is really just that we're starting to produce melatonin at around four months, which changes sleep. Now kiddos can start to go from, they up until this point overnight have been waking every two to three hours to eat. Once melatonin is producing, 
their circadian rhythm changes and they can start to get into these sleep cycles that we talked about in the first episode. N1, N2, N3, and REM sleep start to happen in in longer cycles and kids can start to sync them, which means we can start to see like a five to six hour stretch at the beginning of the night and then kids waking every two to three hours after that to eat. But it can be a beautiful thing if sleep pressure is in place and sensory needs are met. These kids can start to do a longer stretch. After four months, then like between four and six months, kids are going to be doing like a three to four nap schedule. And again, you just don't want that sleep window to get too long, but you're going to start to see more of a routine or more of a schedule here. And you're going to start to see at least one of these naps lengthen where you want it to be like an hour and a half to two hours. And the other ones are probably still catnappy. Yeah. By six months, you're going to see three naps. Sometimes kiddos will even start to like show signs of wanting to go to two naps. I like to hold that off a little bit. Um, but when we are at three naps, you usually have two longer naps and then one cat nap at the end of the day, essentially like getting them through until bedtime. Um, so they're not overtired for overnight sleep at this point, we are looking at 10 and a half to 12 hours total with most kids being able to sleep that first six hours and then waking up every two to three hours to eat after that. Um, the overnight feedings will happen usually longer than we want them to, but that first six hour stretch being consolidated is huge. That shows us whether or not the sleep pressure is in place during the day. When we go down to two naps, it's going to happen between six and eight months. And this is huge because here's where I get a lot of my clients. We want to see more awake time as the day goes on. So I follow something along the lines of like a two, three, four rule. You wake up, you have about two hours of awake time, you take a nap. You have about three hours of awake time, you take a nap. You have about four hours of awake time, you go to sleep for the night. That sounds like my rhythm. That would be wonderful. <laughs> right? Just that two nap. Yeah. And then I just want parents to maintain that schedule. This is where in childcare we tend to see that first nap happening too late, which yeah. sets the day off. Yeah. If a kid wakes up at six, they would have to then go down for their first nap at eight. A lot of kids aren't at childcare yet, yeah. or they're arriving between eight and nine, and they're not going down until between nine and ten, and then we start to see that things are off. Yeah. So we work with a lot of childcare centers around kind of how to manage that. Okay. And then we are just holding those two naps until between 12 and 15 months, kids will go down to one nap. And you'll know their naps will start to get short. You'll start to see like two one-hour naps or even like a half hour at one of the naps. And that's how we know like it's time to consolidate. Yeah. This is huge. This is where sleep pressure comes into play and it's a game changer. We want more awake time in the afternoon than in the morning. So if your kid wakes at 6 a.m. and they're going to go down at 7 p.m., their nap is 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Okay. A lot of the times at school, we see naps that are like 1 to 3. Right. I was just thinking. And if you have a 6 a.m. waker, by 1 o'clock, they're so overtired. They've been awake for seven hours, and then they're only going to have about four, maybe five hours if they go down at 8 p.m. of awake time at night. And we're seeing then usually either wake-ups overnight, bedtime refusal, or early morning wakes. Yeah. 
I work with yeah. a lot of child care centers That's on this. So for our listeners who maybe are like, oh, this that would explain a lot about why the midday is such a, a hard transition or why we hear about struggles that from our child care program. They can, again, relay your information to them. Um, but is there any advocacy that families can do with that to try to say, you know, for families that maybe are resonating with that comment about an earlier nap, so they're sleeping more, you know, that they're awake in the afternoon, you know, I guess maybe that's even, is there something that they could bring up to say or hand hand the center of your website to kind of say, hey, we should really consider this, you know, yeah. but I guess what, what do families do with that? I have worked with a lot of childcare centers where I'll do a presentation for the teachers and I give them this news and I'm like, sorry, we have to change your entire schedule. Um, it's really just adjusting yeah. things. You right. can do the same things. We just have to adjust it. And then I often do a presentation yeah. for families and say the same thing. Yeah. Like, here's why we are changing your child's entire schedule. This is what's going on. So I've done presentations for both parents and teachers at child care centers, which I have found the most helpful in getting everyone just on the same page. Uh, with what needs to happen and letting teachers know, like, I get it. I've been teaching in these yeah. classrooms. I know <laughs> that you're pretty set in a routine and I'm going to upend that. I'm going to make your life yeah. so much easier because I'm going to get all your kids taking a nap and then your parents not being mad that they've taken a nap. <laughs> right. <laughs> because when right. they take a nap from one to three and go home, you have some upset parents because those kids are not tired at night. Right. But if you have a kid who naps from 11 to one, or even 1130, whatever, then they are going to be tired when they get home and it's all okay. So I think if we can just like, it's, it's adjusting mindset, but yeah, I mean, they can definitely send their school, their teachers to my website. I do virtual trainings for, for classrooms and, and schools as well. And I can like give you what it looked like for the, for the, all the teachers who might be listening who are like, I can't do that. Yeah. For me, I did first lunch and second lunch. So my kids would come in from outside at like 10.45 and we would start lunch at 11. They were down for nap by about 11.30 and we did second lunch at like 1.30, 2 o'clock. Okay. So it just like broke it up. Instead of one big meal at the same time, we just essentially did tw did it twice and they ate all their food in two chunks, Yeah. which was fine and everybody slept. And... I mean, I was getting nine toddlers down in less than 10 minutes because they were the right amount of tired. Yeah. Really beautiful. <laughs> I think there's probably some people going, that's what we want. Can we please let that happen? Um, yeah. And so you've talked about infants and toddlers, and I kind of, I'm wondering too about those families who are maybe starting preschool for the first time. Yeah. Or even those, those who are now maybe graduating to their, their elementary school and kindergartens yeah. if you can talk about getting back into that routine especially now that maybe preschoolers maybe a few of them are still kind of wanting that nap yeah. um, but the oldest preschool and kindergartners who don't but who maybe have been off this they've been on the summer schedule how do we yeah. kind of get back in so more preschoolers than not actually still need that nap most kiddos need a nap until at least four a lot of them don't take it 
It usually comes down to stimulation, nap time routine, and timing that they're overtired when they're going down. So it's hard to put down an overtired kid. So we assume they're not tired. That's, it's a nasty cycle. And by pulling the nap earlier, you actually get more kids to fall asleep who really need that nap. That, like I said, most kids need it till at least four. Some kids will go throughout four having at least a little bit of a nap. And then when they start to drop it, I still want them to rest. In fact, the Department of Health, at least over here, state by state, of course, but ours recommends that kids have an hour of screen-free rest time. Mm -hmm. And for us, that means like on your mat, you can have stuffed animals there. We have nap bags that are like puzzles or things that they can do kind of like quietly into themselves. But it's not a time for like big body player to be moving around and talking and engaging. It's a time to like let your body chill for a minute. And so we do those and still encourage that. And a lot of kindergartens here still do like a quiet period for like a half hour just to like turn off the lights and let things calm down. And I love that. I encourage families even on the weekends, especially if your kid's at school, going into kindergarten or preschool, and they're at school five days a week for full days to on the weekends have a rest period in the middle of the day because they're working really, really hard. Yeah. And again, I think there's that feeling that once you're five, well, yeah, you're just a tiny adult and you're just going to chug along the way that we do. And we don't operate that way. And they, and children are still probably figuring out what they need or how to express those needs to some degree. And, you know, sometimes you do, I want to sleep or do I want to play? I probably want to keep playing. I'll, I'll power through these, these yawns or this really just unsettled feeling I have inside of me because I want to keep doing this fun thing. But you mm-hmm. know, if we could, what, so maybe that's, what are some of the indicators, those like kind of just little signs that show us that maybe this child is actually overtired or behaviors that are there, are, are there any kind of universal behaviors? That we yeah. So usually if we're seeing kids like yawn, it's, it's too late. They're yeah. overtired. We don't really want to get to that point. It's why I really urge people to pay attention to timing because if we can get them a little bit of calm time before they're showing signs of tired, it's in everybody's best interest. So I really aim for like five to six hours of awake time in the morning and then a calm period. And so if your kid's waking up at seven, like after lunch, just like have a calm period. But in general, like, yeah, you're going to see boundary pushing. They're going to get whiny, most likely. Mm-hmm. They're just going to feel things much bigger, right? Like it's, yeah. it, it's harder to regulate your emotions when you're tired for everybody. We're much more in our amygdala brain when we're tired. It's harder to tap into rational thought. For adults, it's harder to use that prefrontal cortex. You'll notice it both as a teacher and a parent if yeah. you're, when your kiddo's like getting there and we all start to know like those signs of like, whew, they are tired. And we know it from infancy because their behavior just changes. Things that aren't a big deal become the biggest deal. Mm. We want to catch it really before it happens. So I like to pay attention to timing for that. Because it is literally like clockwork. Yeah. Maybe the last thing you could talk about is just how and when parents reach out to you, you know, and for for families, like the specific services you would help with or, you know, when would it, when would it be time for a family to say, yep, we, we need more help? So at really any time 
pediatricians are not trained in sleep. I was actually recently having a discussion with a pediatrician friend of mine. The more we learn about child development and how much is happening in tiny human brains, the more we put on a pediatrician's plate that they're not trained in, including development and sleep is one of them. So typically parents are turning to peds for sleep advice and kids will answer based off of experience. But really, as early as you start to have these questions, you can reach out and I can either point you to free content and resources that I have. Or if it's more, I will, I'm just pretty honest about like, if this is something that's going to be a bigger like individual conversation. And I have different packages for different folks in terms of um, how much or how little you need. Uh, And I actually, uh, this fall, winter, have a sleep online course that will cover like comprehensive newborn through early childhood in general, uh, sleep expectations and the whole gamut that'll be coming out soon. Wonderful. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for your time. Great conversation. Thanks Uh, for having me. I think it's really important for folks to have access to. I think so. And I'm glad, you know, it's just the more we can share. Thank you for kind of, I think, helping me even learn more about the really, the major benefits that they're taking place. And I hope people can reach out again. Do you want to, how people can get a hold of you? Yeah. Yeah, So you can go to seed and sow, S-E-E-D and S-E-W.org. And that's, that's my mothership. It has every access to everything, including the podcast. Podcast is Voices of Your Village. And uh, from Seed and So you can access sleep as well as emotional development, freebies, hot tips, content, all the things are there. Great. Well, thank you for a wonderful conversation. And I look forward to future conversations about development in children. Yeah. Thank you, Ross. This is lovely. I'm really grateful for this resource. Thank you.